0: Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the Gospel of John, the first chapter. John chapter 1. We began looking at this section last week as part of our uh, Christmas program. If you want to use the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 742. It's a significant passage at Christmas time and wanted us to consider this at this season as we prepare for the upcoming uh, Christmas time specifically, but looking at this. You know, when you meet a person for the first time, There are some basic introductory questions that that often come up. One is, what is your name? Where are you from? And what do you do? And those are questions that often in in meeting guests that come and meeting other people, you know, learning name, where are you from? And then, especially if people in this area, okay, are you originally from the valley? Or where do you come from before that? And what do you do? The opening verses of John's Gospel provide such introductory answers. As we are introduced to Jesus Christ and, and where He is from, what He does, and His name. The Gospel of John is profoundly simple, but also simply profound. Profound. It's a passage that you can read, and it's very understandable even for children, but the theology of it is also very deep. And these opening verses are familiar verses at Christmas. John's prologue is actually unusual because here we have the Christmas story without the familiar markers of Christmas time the characters. There's no Bethlehem. No inn, no manger, no Mary, no Joseph, none of the, the indicators that we normally have for, for the Christmas season. And yet it's regularly read at this time. In Cambridge, England, for their Christmas Eve service, they, they read the first 18 verses every Christmas Eve. It's the annual reading on Christmas Day in other churches. J.I. Packer wrote that nowhere in the New Testament is the nature and meaning of Jesus' divine sonship so clearly explained as it is here. And when we ponder these verses, it really stretches our mind. A.W. Tozer, when he was preaching on this passage, these verses reminded, was reminded of the quotes that, that fools rush in where angels fear to tread. That as we come to this, there's a, there's a magnitude, a depth. And, and as we, I, I say that because I want us to consider these as a church family. And what I want us to see from this passage this morning, and really the opening three verses, is that Jesus Christ, the Word, is able to save sinners because He is God the Son. This is foundational to the Christmas message. It's foundational to our salvation. It's foundational to the gospel message. So if you have your Bibles open, follow with me as I begin reading in verse 1. We'll read the first five verses of of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let's pray as we look at this passage. Lord, as we look into Your Word, we pray that You would open our eyes, that we would behold wonderful things out of Your Word. That we would apply them personally, and that if there is one listening today that has not had the light of the Gospel shined into their dark soul, their heart, That they would understand the hope that there is because Jesus Christ is God. And we ask this in his name. Amen. As I mentioned last week, these opening verses are are like a foyer leading us into the gospel. The prologue, which goes through verse 18, provides not only an introduction to the the passage, to the, the gospel, but a summation of the key themes that will be discussed in John's gospel. So from verse 19 of chapter 1 through chapter 20, verse 29, it really lays out the accuracy of these first 18 verses. There are some some opening declarations, some essential statements in this passage, in these first 18 verses. And, And while I don't have them on the screen, I draw your attention to verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. These are the statement that Jesus Christ, the Word, is able to save sinners because He is God. He's God the Son. The first thing that we see in this passage is that the Word is eternal. You know, from a historical setting, the Gospels bring us to history. All of the Gospels are written about Jesus Christ and and place Him within history. Matthew begins with a genealogy that ties Jesus to David and Abraham. Matthew tends to tell us what Jesus said. Mark begins with the prophecy about the coming of John the Baptist, the the forerunner who will announce Christ's arrival. And Mark's gospel tends to focus on what Jesus did. It's a gospel of action. Luke, after his introduction, tells of the predicted coming of John the Baptist and then Jesus. And so we get a lot of our Christmas narrative from Luke's account. And the Gospel of Luke goes into a lot of detail of of how Christ felt. His compassion, His heart for others. Now this is not surprising. Because when when you think of somebody who is born, there's a history. All of us have a history. There's a setting for our lives. There's There's an ancestral history. There's a geographical history. You know, some of us have more limited knowledge concerning fa- family backgrounds, some have much more information of, of their heritage. Others trace their roots way back. You know, when we did our questionnaire concerning the demographics of Tri City Baptist Church, we, we learned that we have people from um, over 60 countries in their ancestry, three Native American tribes. There were, there were two people in our church, and we really didn't ask a lot of these questions, but we got the information. It was fascinating that there are two people who had descendants who were slaves. We have one person whose ancestors were, were pilgrims on the Mayflower. Someone else can trace their their six generations that were born in Iraq. Well, I'm sure there were people in John's day who could trace their ancestry way back. They knew what tribe they were from. They knew the family tree. They, They kept track of those things. But John takes us back further than any of that. Further than any person can go. John begins with a theological setting. He's going to give the story behind the story. The significance of that child that was born of Mary in Bethlehem. And so in his introduction of Christ, who is named in verse 16, he goes back before Bethlehem. Before King David. Which Luke tells us Jesus was of the house and lineage of David. Before Israel entered the promised land. Before Abraham, which is where Matthew's gospel starts in Matthew 1-2. He goes back before the stars were created. Before the angels were created. John takes us back to in the beginning. He goes to a place that is very difficult for us to even imagine. If you were able to think everything out of existence dismantle the universe, and get back to where this passage begins. In the beginning was the Word. What this is telling us is there never was a time when the Word was not. Do we grasp the significance of that? I mean, what we find in this passage and and what we are looking at this morning is really going to stretch our minds to the limits of what we can comprehend. Now, for some of us, that may not be much stretch, and we're, okay, I'm at the end. But it's going to stretch all of us. I, I remember many, many years ago when I was a child, a young child, hopefully very young, and interacting with my grandpa, Endine. My grandpa, Endine, came over from Cornwall, England. He, he liked to joke around. I, 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 my sister and I still laugh about silly songs that he taught us. And as a young child, I remember one day I was talking with my grandpa. I don't remember how the conversation went, but it was probably something about how I was growing, you know, feel my muscles as children often do. And he said, and I was telling him I could do a chin-up. I could lift my whole body off the ground. And so he made the comment, he said, well, if you can lift yourself up, could you stand in a basket and pick yourself up because you can lift your weight? So I tried it. And at a very young age, I got a lesson in physics and gravity. And we, we laughed because we know that's really not possible. But you know, some of the theological truths that are presented here are going to be like us trying to pick ourselves up in a basket. That our, the gravitational pull of our humanity is the barrier to our grasping God's infinity. And the exercise of trying to understand, though, will strengthen our spiritual stamina and perception while well, it stretches us. In the beginning. Well, where was Jesus Christ before He came to earth? I mean, that's the where are you from question. And, and with that angle, we've, we've never really... We don't consider that with people. I mean, we, we have a very active children's ministry, a nursery ministry that is necessary, and, and it's a delight. And, and one of the things I enjoy is, you know, when I welcome visitors, I don't do anything to embarrass our visitors, but, but when we have some first-time guests, I, I do enjoy announcing the, the first-time visitors of our young couples. And so back in October... I think it was on a Sunday evening, I got to announce the, the welcome our granddaughter, Curious Sophia ending. But nobody came up to me and said, after, now, so where was she before she came here? She was at home. She was with, was with mommy. No, no, I mean before that. She was in mommy's tummy. No, before that. Well, at that point, Nowhere. I reject the false idea of reincarnation. People have their beginning through the reproductive process. Life begins at conception. And if someone kept pushing that question, I would have two thoughts. Either they failed biology, or we need to have a different discussion of biblical theology. But I would have no hesitation of saying, this conversation's not going very far. I'm not going to start wondering, wow, you know, I've never thought about that. I wonder where she was. No, life begins at conception. That was not the case with Jesus Christ. Yes, he was conceived, but before that, in the beginning, he was. There was never a time when the Word was not and it's an interesting statement here in John 1 because the, the terminology would be very familiar to a, to a person who knew the Old Testament. Who knew Genesis. Because Genesis 1.1 be, starts with in the beginning. Just as John 1.1, in the beginning. And for a person who knew Genesis, what would they think? what would they know comes next in the beginning God in the beginning God created well John 1 1 in the beginning was the word the word was with God the word was God where did God come from he always was He has always been. This is the the self-existence of God. This is a truth that will stretch our minds. And as the more you think about it, you realize you're trying to pick yourself up from in a basket. And if you did not know the Bible, or maybe this is new to you, you know what comes to your mind when you read in the beginning was the word. What does word convey? Well, Word is a form of communication, of self-expression. For the Greeks, the thinking of the day and when the Gospel would have been written, the idea of the Word was, was that of reason, of thought. But for the Hebrew mind, it involved more than just thought, it involved action. The Word was the power of God in action. Jesus Christ, the Word, is the revelation of God but he also is the revealed God. And so John in this prologue is laying out what he's going to state as his theme at the end of the the book. In John 20, verse 31, it says, but these signs are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. And so these signs, and there's various signs given in this gospel that are given for that purpose. In fact, if you want to look across the page or over a page in chapter 2, verse 11, it says, this beginning of the signs Jesus did and manifested His glory and His disciples believed on Him. They believed in Him. These signs are given that they would believe. In chapter 2, verse 23, it says, And many believed in his name when they saw the signs which he did. Chapter 12, verse 37, Although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe. These are given that we might believe. Because he's the Word, the power of God in action, he cannot be dismissed or ignored, but he must be adored. We have a responsibility there that he is eternal. But the second thing we see in this opening verse is the word is distinct. There's there's a difference. There's a personality. And the word was with God. And then in verse 2, as it says, he was in the beginning with God. The the word we saw at the beginning of this verse was preexistent. Now we see he's coexistent. The Word is not less than God, but there is something rightly called God that is not the Word. And and again, our minds are getting stretched. We're trying to pick ourselves up in that basket. Christ is God, but the Father is not the Son. And, And so the Word was with God. You know, you can be by yourself, but you can't be with yourself. And and people who claim otherwise are said to have some psychological concerns or a mental disorder. I heard the the little poem years ago, roses are red, violets are are blue, I'm schizophrenic and so am I. (laughs) No, we know that if somebody thinks they're two people, there's a problem there. The word was with God, but it was not a psychotic event or some type of a mental disorder. And we call this the doctrine of the Trinity or the tri-unity it is more theologically accurate. And the Trinity is easy to state and it's almost impossible to understand. It really is stepping into that basket and trying to lift ourselves up. God is three in one, three persons in one essence. How can you explain this? I really can't. I'm standing in a bucket. I'm trying to lift myself up. But without the tri-unity of God, there would be no incarnation of God the Son. And so it's an important doctrine because our humanity limits our understanding of the infinity of God. Now, but I think there's a practical aspect as well to this. That While there's a difference of personality, just stop and think. When people think about who God is or what God is like, If you say to somebody, you know, what do you think of God? What is the number one attribute or characteristic that usually comes to mind? God is love. And isn't that usually what, what people think? And that is true. God is love. But what is love? And have you ever thought of the, how do we define love? It's compassion, it's care that is expressed. There's an object. So so God's love, from a theological perspective, McLean said, is that in God which moves him to give himself and his gifts spontaneously, voluntarily, righteously, and eternally for the good of the personal beings regardless of their merit or response. Well, how does God give his love eternally before the world came? We know God so loved the world. See, God's love is an expression of His will. It's not merely an emotion. It, it, it finds expression in what He does. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 and following, it actually tells us, it's the love passage, it tells us what love does. Love is kind. It's patient. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not arrogant. It's not proud. It, it, it's not rude or selfish. It thinks the best. It hopes all things. Sometimes somebody said, well, I love that person, but they don't behave that way. And there's a legitimate reason to question that their understanding of love. God so loved the world that He gave. So how did God's love find expression before there was a world to love? How was it evidenced? I mean, is it possible to love without an object? If there were no triunity of God, how could love exist in eternity past? The Father loved the Son. And we, we kind of just scan, skim over this, but we find this very clearly laid out in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 3, verse 35, it says, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into His hand. Verse 36, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The wrath of God abides in part because they don't love His Son who the Father loves. John 5, verses 19 and 20, then, the Son, then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does like, in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. John ten 13, seventeen says, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. John 15, 9, as the father loved me, so also have lo- I loved you. Abide in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Understanding the distinction here is important because it it gets us to the heart of God. The love of God. There was an active, loving fellowship in the Godhead in eternity past. God was not lonely before He created us. There was not depression in heaven. He said, you know, I I need a world. No, there, there was a loving relationship Don Carson said, in the beginning, God expressed himself. He spoke. And this expression was with God, his counterpart or fellow in fellowship with him. And this expression was God, God's identity. And that brings us to the third point the Word is deity. He has the same attributes that Christ is God, but the Father is not the Son. So John 1.18, as I've mentioned already, is and no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. You know, sometimes with family we can say, oh, I can tell that's your child. You, you, there's a similarity. And, and we, we recognize that with humans. Well, the Son was the exact representation of the Father. It says in Colossians 2.9, for in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. And, and the construction here in, in the Greek text is very clear. The Word was God. Not a God. Not one of many. And, and if you can receive these truths here, then nothing else in the Gospel should be difficult. There was a heresy that began back in about 300 AD that claimed that Jesus was the first created being. He was the first created and he was a God and then he created everything else. But the idea there is that when it says he created all things that that doesn't include him. Well, that, that's heresy and it continues today. And it's taught in many ways that, that yes, He's a God. He's a good teacher. He, he's a prophet, but He is not God the Son. No, that, that's heretical. He is God. And the fourth thing we see is he, the Word is Creator. Because that's where it's leading us. He was in the beginning with God. He was God and all things were made through Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. The creative activity that he was in the beginning with God, bound up with God at creation. God is different from the created order. There's a creator-creature distinction. The Word was the Father's agent in creation. In fact, Hebrews 1 verse 2 says, God has in these last days spoken to us by His Son through whom also He made the world's. And, and the clarification, the, that false idea that all things, that somehow the Word is exempt from that, that He was first created and then created everything else. But the Bible doesn't allow that. Because it goes on in verse 3 and says, without Him, nothing was made that was made. So, well, I have a hard time grasping this. Yeah, standing in that basket. You know, it takes faith to believe that Jesus Christ made Everything. But it also takes faith not to believe it, because you're going to put your faith in something. So if he didn't do it, how do we get here? Stephen Hawking, who I quoted last week, that he thinks that the idea of the afterlife is a fairy tale for people afraid of the, the dark. And he was I thought the best comeback to that was, well, atheism is a fairy tale for those who are afraid to come to the light. But he said it was it was gravity. Others say it were gases that were out there. I would rather put my faith in God than in gravity or gas. But you're going to put your faith somewhere. What was in the beginning? Something had to be there. And and understanding if you don't exist, you can't bring yourself into existence. So in the beginning was the Word. And because Jesus Christ is who He is, He is able to do what He does. See, without the incarnation, there could be no redemption. We needed the God-man to come to save us, to be born, to die, to pay the penalty for sin. There could be no application of the redemption unless it was the Son bringing us to the Father through the Holy Spirit. You know, some people like to claim that Jesus wasn't God, but He was a good teacher. That's really not an option. If He was not who He claimed to be, and He knew it, He was a deceiver. He was a liar. And if He's not who He claimed to be and didn't know it, then He was deceived. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity Really stated it well, a very familiar quote to many of us, but he brings us to that understanding. He says, I am trying here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. That I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept him, his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to that really sums up, who do we see God to be? What, we've been introduced. What, was his, what is His name? The Word. Where is He from? From God. What does He do? He is God. He's the Creator. And the Creator has rights and respo- because of that, those rights, the creation has responsibility. That's us. We can't just pass this aside when we understand who He was. So what have we seen? Jesus is God. That's John 1.1. That we see that He is God. We need to approach the Gospel in a worshipful awe and adoration. If you can completely understand God, you won't worship Him. We bow in humble adoration because we can't fully grasp. But we say, my Lord and my God. For our TCA program a few weeks ago, hearing our children, the entire school singing, worthy, worthy, worthy. That ought to be our response because Jesus is God. We also see Jesus is man. We see that in, in verse 14. So that not only is Jesus God, He is man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. From conception to birth through childhood, He grew and learned. The very God of very God humbled Himself, taking the limits of humanity while still remaining fully God. The one person with two natures. And again, we're standing in a basket trying to pick ourselves up. The divine nature was eternal with the Father. The human nature was born in Bethlehem. The divine nature knew all things. The human nature grew in wisdom. He had to learn the Hebrew alphabet, the Greek alphabet. He learned things. He grew in wisdom. He grew physically in stature. He grew socially in favor with man and spiritually in in his knowledge of God, in that humanity. He's the giver of life. And he died on the cross. You know, we we see these aspects taking place. It really isn't strange that the author of life could rise from the dead. What is strange is that the author of life would die. And he did it for your sin and for mine. Because it says in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin. He had to die for our sins. And then we see that Jesus is Savior. He came unto his own people, but they did not receive him. But verse 12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, to those who believe in his name. Have you trusted in him? Have you believed in his name? I mean, you, you can know facts about Him. You can believe that Jesus came. You can celebrate Christmas and say, I believe that He was born. But that's not the same as trusting in Him. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. No, there's a, there's a difference between knowing the facts and being in Christ. You can be in church. You can be baptized. You can be a member and not be in Christ. It's not the religious activity that will save you. And if you think that your good works will lift you high enough, you're standing in that basket. You're like me as a little boy trying to pick yourself up and instead of just trying to do it off the ground, you're thinking you can reach God. Do we understand how foolish that is? the gravitational pull of our humanity and our sinfulness. It's absurd. And yet how many people are trusting their good works rather than the finished work of Christ alone? Have you received Him? Is there a time that you prayed, you you fell on your face before God, got on your knees or, or in your heart, said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. There's nothing I can do. I'm asking Jesus Christ to come into my life to be my Savior. I'm trusting His work rather than mine. Have you asked the Lord to forgive you of your sins and to save your soul? What I'm asking this morning is, is Jesus Christ your God and Savior? If not, He can be. That's why we're here. That's why we're sharing this. And if he is, then we have the good news of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. If this is all new to you, I would encourage you to read the gospel of John. We've just scratched the surface. It's profoundly simple and simply profound. Is he your God and Savior today? Let's look to the Lord in prayer.